so, so um, I hope you know that that's the good news that we proclaim. It's actually news because it's not just a story. It actually happened. That happened. It's history. It's historical fact that Jesus died for us. And as a church, I just hope that our, uh, our, our lives, if we're really going to grow as a church, I hope we're growing in love with a relationship with Jesus. So we get to listen to him from his word. So why don't you find your seats uh, right now, and, and we're going to make much of Jesus by opening up God's word together. So go with me to the book of Exodus. All right, we are in the book of Exodus. I want you to have a copy of God's word in front of you. So uh, if you don't have a Bible, you can just uh, get our ushers' attention. They would love to give you one, or you can follow along with us on the Bible app. And we are in Exodus uh, chapter 15. We're actually going to finish up Exodus chapter 15 just to kind of bring you up to speed. Uh, we have uh, really, we've already seen the Exodus out of Egypt, and God parted the Red Sea and, and, and took out the Egyptian army. And because of that, uh, the the Israelites couldn't help it. They just had to sing this song of praise and worship. And so here we are at the end of chapter 15. Now, we're actually getting, this is, this is a major transition in the book of Exodus, okay? We are leaving Egypt behind. Uh, we're done with them, and, and, and we're moving out into uh, the wilderness. We're going out into what some call the wilderness wanderings. One commentator said, this is wilderness university, because God is going to take his people out into the wilderness to really teach Israel to trust and obey him. And um, to be honest, they're not going to do so hot. Um, and so we're going to be looking in chapter 15, 16, and 17. We're going to spend um, uh, the rest of the month of August. We're going to finish the summer uh, by looking at our attitudes. All right? Israel is going to kind of struggle with their attitude, and, and I was thinking about, I couldn't help it, I, like, instantly, I started thinking about uh, my youngest daughter, JC, and, and not, not because she just has an attitude, but um, uh, when, when she was born, she quickly earned the nickname, Jace the Face, and the reason she earned this nickname is because she had, like, early on, I mean, she's like days old, she had this look that she could give us that would just make us feel about this big, I mean, like, like started questioning our existence, or like, I just feel dumb when she looks at it. Here it is. I've got a picture of it. Uh, this is the face that she would give us. And, and, and she would look at you like, who are you and why are you talking to me, right? And you just feel like so dumb. And, and, and like the whole thing just kind of screamed attitude, right? Now she's so sweet. And we're, we're like, we, so we kind of like laugh about it now. Uh, but I do think that a lot of us end up kind of making that face when we're not happy, and, and, and things aren't going our way, and, and we end up having a bad attitude uh, about what's going on in our life. Carissa is constantly telling our kids, hey, fix your eyebrows, fix your eyebrows, because you choose your attitude. Uh, sometimes we struggle with our attitude. Even those of us who, um, you know, are, for the most part, are uh, positive and kind of upbeat, um, we often are guilty of having a bad attitude when things don't go our way, we don't like what's happening, whether... And we just got a bill from the mechanic, or uh, somebody cut us off in traffic, or um, you know we, we are, we're dealing with work stress, we don't like our job, we want a, a, a bigger house, or we don't feel like we're being treated fairly, or whatever it is. No matter what, what it is that's going on in our lives, it's, we're not happy about it, so we end up looking like angry, grumpy cat. You know what I'm talking about? Now, obviously, I'm not talking about anybody in here, but some people. Believe it or not, some people 
struggle with their attitude and need some attitude adjustments. Here's the big idea that we're going to see in Exodus chapter 15. Here, here's what I think God is going to teach us right now, that, that, that God uses our circumstances to challenge our attitudes and remind us that we can trust him. Let me show that to you. Exodus chapter 15, we are finishing out the chapter here, starting in verse 22. All right, Exodus chapter 15, starting in verse 22, it says, Then Moses made Israel set out from the Red Sea, and they went into the wilderness of Shur. They went three days in the wilderness and found no water. And when they came to Marah, they could not drink the water of Marah because it was bitter. Therefore, it was named Marah. And the people grumbled against Moses, saying, What shall we drink? And he cried out to the Lord, and the Lord showed him a log, and he threw it in the water, and the water became sweet, made for them a statute and a rule, and there he tested them, saying, if you will diligently listen to the voice of the Lord your God and do what is right in his eyes, and give ear to his commandments and keep all his statutes, I will put none of the diseases on you that I put on the Egyptians, for I am the Lord, your healer. Then they came to Elim where there were 12 springs of water and 70 palm trees, and they encamped there by the water. Father, I pray that you would just um, meet with us right now. And, and I know I've kind of been facetious about this, and um, you know, kind of silly, but it, it's not a laughing matter that, that a lot of us really do struggle here, Lord. Uh, we find ourselves um, often uh, grumbling, complaining, not happy, frustrated, irritable just kind of struggling with bad attitudes. And, and Lord, that does not reflect the joy that we have in Christ. And so uh, I pray that um, right now you would remind us again of who you are, what you've accomplished for us, and, and that you would do some heart work on us. Uh, so we're, we're, we're going to open ourselves up to you and, and, and confess that maybe we need this and, and ask that you would do a work. I, I, I pray that you'd be gentle. I pray that you'd be patient with us. I just thank you that you are. I thank you that you don't treat us as our sins deserve. And as far as the heavens are above the earth, that's how much you love us. As far as the east is from the west, that's how far you remove our sins from us. We're thankful for that. We just want to rest in your grace, and yet because of that grace, we want to live in holiness. We want to be like you. We want to look to Jesus who did not sin. And so we thank you for that example that you give us. Thank you for the joy that you give us. I pray that we would be a church that, that lives in that. And when people see us, they would see our attitudes are different. And it would really give you glory. And so I thank you for that. And I pray that you'd fill us with your spirit right now, that we'd be obedient to you and hear from you. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Amen. I want to give you, um, honestly, I think Israel's going to give us a bad example to follow. But there are lessons for us to learn. And, and I want to give you three of them, okay? So here's three lessons that we can learn from the example of Israel. And, and, and this one, uh, I, I don't want to move too quickly past this, but, but note this lesson. We are susceptible to sin after a spiritual high. Okay? Israel is on a spiritual high. Or they have been. In fact, the text says right there, verse 22, it says they set out from the Red Sea just as the reminder to you of what just happened. And how could you forget that, though, right? I mean, like, literally, God just 
divided the waters and, and he made a road right through the sea so that the children of Israel could walk through on dry land. And then he took out the greatest army in the world without even lifting a sword. And, and could you just, can you just imagine what that moment must have been like for watching these waters? Some of you just went to the beach this summer. You spent some time in the ocean. Can you imagine what that must have looked like with, with walls on either side of you? And then God takes out the Egyptians and, and he saves you from the threat of oppression and slavery. I mean, can you just imagine what that must have been like for them to experience that? That was the greatest act of salvation in the Old Testament. And so by the time that ended, what are they doing? they got to sing about it. That's what we saw in, in, in the first part of chapter 15. It's like they, they, they can't help it. They just start singing this worship song to God uh, because, man, that's, that's going to be hard to forget what God just did. And then they went out into the wilderness of Shur. Okay, so I got the map. I don't have my laser pointer on, all right? But, but I thought we could get our bearings a little bit here, okay? So we're, we're, we're leaving Egypt. And I, I want you to notice here that God, most likely, this is the route God's going to take them down to Mount Sinai before he takes them up to Canaan. He doesn't take the direct route. He's actually taking them the long way around in the wilderness on the way to the promised land. And he's leading them by the pillar of cloud by day, the pillar of fire by night. And the reason that he's taking them out into the wilderness is because he has some things he wants to teach them. And one of the first problems that they encounter, it says, um, in the wilderness they found no water. Now that is kind of a big deal, okay? You do need water to survive. And uh, when I was in uh, this region of the world, I kind of learned the importance of water. I, uh, I saw here, here, check this out. This is a picture of the Judean wilderness. Okay, so I know like that's not exactly where the children of Israel are right now. But this is actually uh, the place like where Jesus was out in the wilderness. He was led by the Spirit into the wilderness where he fasted for 40 days and he was being tempted by Satan. So that's not necessarily the Sinai Peninsula, but it is the wilderness. And it was out in places like that that, that, that I learned when we were out there. It's it's super hot, and every morning before we go, we're like stocking up on water bottles, and they keep reminding us the whole time, like, don't stop drinking, okay? Don't forget to keep drinking. You don't want to get dehydrated. And if you're out in the wilderness and you can't find water like this, you're going to get desperate really quick. I mean, they're in a tough spot. You know, this, is, this is putting some stress on them. It's, it's, it's hot. It's, it's miserable. Their, their tongue is dry, and it's like sticking to the roof of their mouth. They're just tempted to be in a bad mood. Maybe, maybe you would feel that too. It's kind of um, ironic, though, that it's water that provides the temptation, isn't it? Because what did they seen God just do? He, he just parted the waters for them. I, I imagine that some of them, if, especially if they were like claustrophobic or couldn't swim when they saw God do that, they're like, you know what? I think I've seen enough water for a few days. Careful what you wish for. Right? But, but how long have they been out? How long did, look at verse 22. How long have they been out in the wilderness? It says they went three days in the wilderness. It's, it's only been three days since they saw God do this incredible miracle and demonstrate his power over creation. And in response to that, when they saw it, what were they doing? They couldn't help, they just had to sing. They start busting out in worship and, and, and praise to God. They're saying things like, who is like you, O Lord, awesome and glorious deeds, doing wonders. They're on a spiritual high. They are full of confidence and, and trust in the Lord and in his saving power. They, they, they just believe that God can do this, and they're riding high. And then all of a sudden, three days later, they're whining and complaining in the wilderness. 
don't you think like they should have learned to you know trust the lord or at least at least cry out to him but instead of praying the text says they grumbled against moses i think there's something something here for us okay how many times have you um, maybe had an uh, amazing experience with the Lord or uh, God showed up in a powerful way? Maybe you felt him you know, speaking to you on a Sunday morning or maybe you had this uh, sweet time of, of vulnerability and accountability and prayer in small group or you know, it was just a really, you, you just sensed God was moving and maybe you experienced some victory over sin or, or, or maybe even you got a chance to like lead somebody to Christ and, and God was using you and you're, you're, you're just riding this spiritual high only to fall flat on your face the next day in sin. You feel that? Like the joy of one moment turns into a bad attitude in the next. I think it's important for us to to beware that we are sometimes especially susceptible to sin after a spiritual high. Now, I'm going to confess to you. I'm going to let the walls down just for a sec, okay? Uh, This is real in my life. Um, Everything builds... In, in, in my week, everything builds towards Sunday, okay? Like, I'm preparing for this. I'm getting in God's word. And, and, and a lot of times, we just have a, I, I love this church. I love worshiping together with you. And we'll have a great Sunday, and it's just awesome, riding high. And then I wake up on Monday, and, and I'm a little worn down, kind of tired, and I struggle being uh, irritable and, and a little grumpy. Don't ask her if that ever happens. But um, I don't, I don't, I don't want to do that. I don't, I don't want it to, you know, my family to see that, you know, like yesterday, you're like hands high, you're like singing your heart out and praising, you know, preaching God's word and all excited. And then on Monday, you're like Mr. Grumpy Pants. Like, I, I don't want that in my life. And I want to, I want to tell you this. It's okay to have um, mountaintop experiences with God. But real life happens in the mundane grind. And we don't want to come off of the high down into the regular plains and valleys and just immediately give up worshiping God and fall into sin. And so I want to I get practical just for a minute because um, I know that you probably want to avoid this as well. And I think knowing kind of why this happens will help you know uh, what to do about it. And, and so here, let me give you just a couple things that you want to watch out for. I think the first is this. We need to, we need to know the tendency of your heart. You need to know the tendencies of your heart, okay? I, I just need to be aware. Uh, here, here's, here's how this works. Even though in Christ, God has changed my heart so that I love him, I still wrestle with sin. I still struggle with this. And, and, and my heart just left to itself is naturally self-centered. It happens so quickly that I can turn my focus from the Lord to myself. And that's why one minute I'm praising the Lord and I'm worshiping him and the next I'm falling right into sin. It just happens like, like you know, you see it in Israel. Here they are in the same chapter. In one moment they're, they're praising like God is awesome. And the next minute they're like, I'm so miserable. I don't like life. and I don't, I'm not happy right now because of their difficult circumstances. We just need to be aware of how fast our hearts can turn from looking and, and, and worshiping the Lord into sinful attitudes. It's kind of like the route that you drive to work every day. Or, or maybe you go somewhere else, but let's just say that, 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 that route that you're constantly driving on. For me, when I'm driving, there's always this, this, this right turn onto this particular road. I just make that like every day. 
I don't even have to think about it. So let's say on the days that I don't need to go that direction, let's say I need to stay straight so I can get to the store or whatever, if I'm not thinking about it, and I just kind of put it on autopilot, I find myself turning right onto that road like I'm uh, on my way to work because it's just a force of habit. I've done it so many times, it just goes that way. That's my heart. Like left to myself, if, if I'm not paying attention, I've spent so much time in my life focused on me that it just feels natural for me to focus on myself. My heart just goes that direction. And so I need to be aware of the tendencies of my heart. And the second thing is I need to be alert. I just need to pay attention. In fact, that's actually biblical. Uh, Peter picks up on this. 1 Peter chapter 5, I've uh, got this for you on the screen. It's a, kind of a dangerous reminder for us because not only do, uh, do we have tendencies of our heart that are going to go astray, but we also have an enemy who's going to take advantage of that. Peter says, 1 Peter 5, chapter 8, he says, Be sober-minded. Be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. So what this means is that the, the, the minute we let our guard down, Satan is ready to attack. And he knows our heart's tendencies too. He gets it. He knows that we're prone to selfishness and sin. And, and so just because I've just had this sweet time of, of prayer before the Lord or, or, or I'm singing my heart out on a Sunday or, or, or maybe I'm like boldly uh, talking about Jesus to a, a friend or a coworker or a neighbor or whoever, like wh whatever it is, whenever I'm, I'm riding that spiritual high, it doesn't mean that I could just kind of put it on cruise control and start coasting. I need to be aware and recognize the danger that a spiritual high sometimes lets us feel like I'm, I'm good. Like I, I, can, I can handle anything. I mean, and then, because then I forget my weakness. And I'm left vulnerable to the enemy's attacks. And, and so God's word is just telling us, hey, you better know where your heart tends to go. You better know you've got an enemy that's trying to get you there. You need to be alert, pay attention, stay awake. But then this, and I think this is the most important need to look to Jesus. And here's why I say that. Praise God. We have a Savior who is tempted like us. You know, Jesus was led out into the wilderness himself. The only difference is that when he was led out into the wilderness to be tempted by Satan, he did not fail. And so because of that, Hebrews tells us this. I've got it for you here. Hebrews chapter 2, verse 18 says, Because he himself has suffered when tempted, he is able to help those who are being tempted. What that means is that even though you know, we are susceptible to sin after a spiritual high, Jesus can help us. And the Spirit can empower us to, to, to turn from sin, turn to obedience. So it means you don't have to come off the mountain and fall right into sin. We can follow the example of Christ under the power of his spirit working in us. But pay attention to know our hearts and just be enamored with the glory of Jesus to follow him. But here's Israel. They're only uh, three days later after all of this and they're still struggling. So I think there's a second lesson for us here. Note this. Our complaining reveals our forgetfulness. Our complaining reveals our forget forgetfulness. So... Um, they're having a bad day. They don't have any water. And then verse 23 says they finally find water, but the problem is they can't drink any of it because the water at Marah uh, was 
bitter. The, the Hebrew word bitter is mar, which is why they called the place Mara. So as I'm like picturing what happened in this moment, I think the Israelites probably made the face that my kids make when they're reacting to taking a sip of my coffee. Okay? There's a difference between daddy coffee and mommy coffee. They like really like mommy coffee. Uh, I drink coffee black the way God intended it. And so when my, when my kids start taking a drink of that, they're like, oh, yes. I think that's the picture here. And, and, and the Israelites, they're, 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 they're just kind of repulsed by that. I don't think they're being snobs, okay? I don't think this is like, I only drink Evian and I need it in a glass with four ice cubes and a slice of lemon. They're, they're not being snobs about this, okay? It's just so repulsive. It, it, it tastes so bad. It's undrinkable. I mean, think about it. If you've been in the wilderness, without water for three days. I mean, that had to be really bad for them to turn it down. And so this situation went from bad to worse. Like, we don't have any water. Now we do, but we can't drink anything. And what's their response? Verse, 20, verse 24, what do they do? They grumbled against Moses. Grumbled. It's an interesting word. That word could also be translated, they murmured. It means they're, you know, you're, you're making complaining remarks or noises under your breath. Just making it obvious that I'm not happy and I'm having this bad attitude and I'm complaining about what's going on. And so really, the bitterness of the water is, is a picture of their heart attitude. And I think... Uh, narratively, as we get to this point, I think there is a little bit where we're supposed to be reading along and we uh, see how they're responding and, and, and we read this and we're like, really, guys? Really? After, after everything that God has done for you, after all that you just saw God did, and I, I get that that's not, a, uh, that's not a pleasant place to be, but do you not see what God just did? All they can think about is themselves. And their selfishness is so ugly here, isn't it? And it actually, unfortunately, starts this, this pattern of complaining. Paul actually picks up on this in the New Testament. And he starts thinking about this story, and, and he starts to apply it to us in the church. Here's what he says, 1 Corinthians chapter 9, or chapter 10, excuse me. He says this, we, the church, we must not grumble as some of them did, and were destroyed by the destroyer. Now these things happened to them as an example, but they were written down for our instruction. So again, here's, here's the deal. Like we, we read through this story, and we're going to see it over and over again. It, it's kind of easy for us to um, read about the way that they're responding in this. and We just look at them, and we're like, man, these, these Israelites are a bunch of jokers, man. They just don't get it. Like, you've you got to be kidding me in the way they do this. But, and and I, I realize that that might be fair for us to kind of uh, see their reactions and feel that way. But I think we need to watch out. Because th this story and really the, the constant struggles of Israel in the entire Old Testament is actually like a mirror. I want you to think about that one. You're opening up the Old Testament and you're reading and there's so many things. This isn't just a story about, like, heroes, Okay. Israel is, is kind of, it's been said, is a microcosm of humanity. When we're reading this, I want you to picture your Bible as a mirror. Because as you're looking at them and how they respond, you're going to see your own heart and attitude reflected in their response. It's a reminder, it's kind of a, a warning for us. 
our attitude, your attitude is the way that you uh, think about and look at the circumstances that you have going on in your life. And it's that view of your situation that, that uh, spills out in emotional responses. And so I get it. A lot of people, when you start thinking about the attitude that you have, you kind of have this sense of like, well, I, I, can't, I can't really help it because it's just the way I feel. But you have to recognize that attitude actually starts in the mind and in your heart. Because it's, it's uh, revealing what we're choosing to think and what we're choosing to believe. Let me give you an example of this, okay? Let's just say, hypothetically, hypothetically, that I had a bad attitude in traffic. And, and, and the reason that I might have the bad attitude in traffic is because I might be choosing to believe that that jerk that cut me off, he did that on purpose. And that I don't, I don't deserve to be treated that way. And I deserve to have uh, uninterrupted sole possession of the road and clear lanes and I'm most important and, and, and I've got places to be and my schedule and what i got going on is more important than that guy. And so like, I, I'm upset and I'm irritated because I'm not getting what I believe that I deserve. And, and, and I don't deserve to be inconvenienced like this. Now, I, I realize that... that um, I or you have probably never consciously had all of those thoughts, but that's what our selfishness does, isn't it? We, we actually start to elevate my own importance and, and makes my needs and my feelings primary. And, and really what it, it tells us is this, my attitude is a choice. My attitude is a choice because I am, when I'm complaining, it's showing that I am choosing to focus on me and what I want and what I don't have and what I think I deserve, and I have forgotten who God is and what he has done for me. And the moment that I start to think about who God is and what he has done for me, that ought to humble me and make me so grateful for his grace and his blessings in my life and give me so much confidence that I can trust him with whatever it is that I'm facing. I mean, Israel just saw, literally days before, they, got, they saw God prove in the most miraculous way that he is capable, fully capable of taking care of them and that he loves them and that he cares for them. But they become so focused on thinking about themselves that they have forgotten to stop and look up and start thinking about him and remember what he has done for them. And so instead of actually taking it to the Lord and, and, and praying and, and asking for God's help, they just want to complain. Grumble, grumble. Because when I'm, when I'm, when I'm complaining... Really what I'm doing is I'm focusing on the negative uh, because it, it, it gives me some false sense of, of control like I'm actually doing something about it when I'm really not. And, and it almost becomes kind of an addicting attitude then because the more evidences that I can stockpile to, to complain about gives me this sense of justification for how I feel and how I'm responding and then I just swirl around in all these reasons that I think I have to be miserable. But the gospel sucks the life out of my argument and leaves me with no justification for complaining. Because the Bible actually gives me a necessary dose of reality. It shows me what I actually deserve, but what I receive 
by God's grace instead. That I am a sinner. I deserve God's judgment. I deserve death. I I deserve his wrath. But because of Jesus and because of what he did in dying on the cross in my place, I am given his righteousness. I am given eternal life instead. He demonstrates that he doesn't treat me as my sins deserve and he loves me and he cares for me and he provides for me and he abundantly blesses me and he sustains me and I have way more than I deserve. I have so much to be thankful for. But when I'm complaining, I'm choosing to forget about all of that and just focus on me, what I want and what I don't have and what I think I need. Now, you would think that in Fairfax, we really wouldn't struggle with this. I've uh, told you before um, that we live in the uh, documentation shows that, that we're one of the second or third richest counties in the United States having a conversation with my buddy Tate um, a little while ago when he's studying to get his PhD in economics at George Mason. And they were talking about what that means, and, and, and he kind of put it into context for me. He said this, really what that means is that we are one of the richest communities in the history of the world. Just let that sink in for a minute. We're one of the richest communities in the history of the world. The median Household income in Fairfax, Virginia is just over $119,000. That's from 2017, a study on our, uh, our uh, county's government website, okay? So I just, I, that's the median income in, in our county. I plugged that in to the globalrichlist.com. Here's what that looks like, okay? Um, that means that if you're there, if you have like the median household income in Fairfax, then you are the top 0.07% richest people in the world by income. And I realize some of you are kind of sitting here like, well, I don't make, okay, so even if you have like half of that, you're still in the 0.19% richest people in the world. With, with that in mind, I, I just... I wonder how many people around the world do you think would have a hard time listening to us complain about our situation in life? Okay, so obviously money doesn't buy happiness. Like, I get that. And I know that, trust me, I I get, it's expensive here, okay? Cost of living is really high. And hear me out on this. I I am not for one minute trying to say that the suffering and, and the things that you are going through are not legitimate. Some of you are hurting, some of you, and, and, and it's hard. And God knows that, God cares, and we care too. All I'm asking is that it, is, it, is it possible that we don't truly have an appreciation for all that we have to be thankful for? I hear a lot of complaining in this community. Carissa and I have like wrestled with this. In fact, this is we've had so many conversations about this over the last couple of years. And trust me, um, we've heard it in ourselves in our own comments, and, and we've done our fair share of complaining too. But it just kind of seems to be a, a, a common refrain in this area. Things like I'm I'm not happy at my job. I wish I made more money. 
I need a bigger place. I need a nicer place. I need more space. I don't like my roommate. My phone's getting too slow. I'm tired of how expensive it is here. When's God going to finally show me who I'm going to marry? I wish my husband was more like that guy. Or I wish my wife would give me what I want more often. How come God isn't giving us more children? Or we only have one car. I want more time off. I wish I had a schedule like him. I wouldn't have to sit in all of this traffic and waste so much time. It must be nice to be able to be able to do what they do. Or I need to get to a better place. I need, I want. We, just, we could just keep going and going, right? My attitude is a choice. So as believers in Jesus, we want to look to him and, and choose to think about and believe what is true. And remember who he is and remember what he's done for us. Now, the Bible actually does give us a lot of examples of people that are complaining legitimately. You can read some of those in the Psalms, but those legitimate complaints are also coupled with a trust in the Lord. And so if you are, if you find yourself kind of in that uh, little bit of a mood, having a little moment, feeling like I need to complain, can I just suggest that you pray? Take that to the Lord and then start listing off all the things that you had to be thankful for. I think our complaining reveals our heart's forgetfulness. Here's the third lesson from the example of Israel. Note this. You need to learn the sweetness of trusting and listening to the Lord. So, so God demonstrates so much patience here. Parents, I don't know if you probably experienced something like this where, I don't know, maybe you took your kids out to like a water park or something and you just, you just went and you had this like incredible day. You had so much fun doing all of this stuff that was going to make them happy and then you get back into the car and instead of hearing them say, hey, thanks, mom and dad, that was so fun. They just sit there and all they want to do is complain and whine and I'm still hungry and I don't want to go to bed. And, I'm like, and they're like, how do you respond in those moments? Okay, so because I know how I would respond, God's response here is so gracious. He doesn't just smack them around and take them out. Not that I smack my kids, please don't hear me. They may want to some days, but look at what he does. Verse 25, it says that he showed Moses a log and he threw it into the water and the water became sweet. So just as God had used the staff of Moses to, to turn uh, the water of the Nile into blood and, and to part the waters of the Red Sea, now he's using uh, this log to miraculously transform the water so they can drink. I just got to tell you, God is so gracious to these grumbling, complaining, undeserving people. It's his grace. And, and while they're drinking, while they're, while they're tasting the sweetness of his grace, it says he made for them a, a statute, a rule, and he tested them. Now, that doesn't mean that he's testing them like, like an administrator at the DMV who's giving you one of those tests just to see how you do, to see if you know your stuff. This is really more like he's testing them like a teacher who's trying to help them pass, trying to instruct them and get them to the point where they will be able to pass this. And the reason I know that, verse 25, when it said that the Lord showed Moses a log, he showed Moses a log. That word showed in the Hebrew really means to instruct or to teach. God is teaching Moses what to do, and when Moses obeys, the water turns sweet. Sweetness comes 
from listening to the instruction of the Lord. He says, if you will diligently listen, if you'll do what is right, I will put none of the diseases on you that I put on the Egyptians. So he's given them this, this promise for the future with, with, with rooted in reminders from the past, right? That, that, that you're not going to have to experience what, the, what you saw Egypt go through under God's judgment. You're not going to have that, but it's conditioned on your faith and your obedience to the only one who really can heal. And, and I think that there's a pattern here. One of the commentators point this out. I think it's really helpful for us that they're learning how to obey God but God's already saved them. What that means for us is that in Christ, we are not saved by obeying. We obey because Jesus has already saved us. And God is the one who heals. He purifies our hearts. He empowers us to listen and obey his word every day so that we can experience the sweetness of trusting him. And then verse 27 said that he led them to Elim. And there's 12 springs, 70 palm trees. That sounds kind of nice. It's like kind of like an oasis in the wilderness, right? And they encamped there by the water. That word, that, that phrase, that language is reminiscent of Psalm 23. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He leads me by the water beside still waters. I want you to know that there's a sweetness in life for those of us who will open up his word and listen, knowing that we can trust the Lord, we can depend on him. And that doesn't mean, that's not like a promise that he's going to grant you all of your wishes and dreams and, and he's going to answer all of your prayer requests the way you've asked and, and, and that he's just going to give you a life of comfort and ease. But it does mean that no matter the circumstances, no matter what it is that you are going through, that he is with you, that he loves you, and he's going to empower you to listen and obey and follow him. And when you do, you're going to experience the joy of God's presence, even in a wilderness. You know what that means? There's not really much to complain about, is there? We have a lot to be thankful for. Father, I pray that you would do this work in our hearts. We confess this is something, if anyone in here is like me, this is kind of a daily thing. Lord, we're, it's easy for us to focus and look around and see the things that we don't have, the things that we want, and the, the things that we're struggling with, and, and, and asking you to change that and fix our circumstances. And, and Lord, it's so easy for us to get so focused on us that we really forget who you are and what you've accomplished for us. And so if anything, I pray that our eyes are just lifted up to see the glory of Jesus and that we would learn the sweetness of listening to you and following you, knowing that it's you. You're the one who's at work in us, both to will and to work for your good pleasure. And I pray that you would get the glory in it as you make us more like your son. So if any of us need some attitude adjustments this week, I pray that you would remind us of your grace. Be patient with us. Thank you that you love us. And I pray that you would get the glory that you deserve in Jesus' name. Amen.